0: Uh, thank you, praise team. Let's give a round of applause to our praise team. I'm officially call you guys the Luau team. I didn't get the memo. I would have worn my Hawaiian print shirt as well, but I felt like I was at a luau today as you guys were leading worship. But what an amazing time to worship and praise God! It is an honor to be here. Always, always love uh, worshiping with you guys. Um, this is not my first time. In fact, everywhere I go, uh, I always brag about your church, in particular, the amazing Vietnamese cuisine that you guys have cooked up, because when I have guest booked for your retreat in the past, it was probably the best food I've had, the best, and I've gone to many retreats, and so I just want to thank you. I came back from a retreat last night uh, from Big Bear 1, 1 a.m., and I bragged about uh, the food of your church Back in the retreat that I guess spoke at, because they were trying to brag. It was a Korean church. They're like, "Oh, our parents are gonna bring kimbap, tteokbokki, and your favorite fried chicken." And I was like, "Oh yeah." Well, one time I was at a Vietnamese church, and uh, they cooked up some amazing soup noodles, and it was so good. They're like, "Oh okay." (laughs) So, anyways, it's a joy to be here, Uh, and today I want us to um, look at this uh, promise of rest. Everybody say rest. Rest. Uh, This theme of rest is actually something that runs uh, throughout the whole scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And today I want to break it down into three parts. I want to look at the plan of rest. I want to look at the place of rest and ultimately the person of rest. Again, here's the plan of rest. There's a place of rest and ultimately the person. And so if you guys have your Bibles, can I hear you say word? Turn to Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to be looking at three verses that come from chapter 11, verse 28. I'm reading from the ESV. And so let's give our undivided attention to the word of God. Chapter 11 of the Gospel of Matthew, verse 28, all the way to verse 30. Only three verses. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. That is the word of God for us this morning. Let's pray one more time. Gracious and loving Father, I thank you that um, we are able to gather corporately and worship you. I pray uh, that your word and promise of rest would run deep into our hearts. Help us to appropriate and live out the very word that we just read, not just keep it in theory, but truly apply it. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to the very word that you've given us. We lift up all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Here's the plan, guys. I don't know if you knew, but in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, Moses writes, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Everybody say holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so from the very get-go, the plan of rest was that God had built into humanity a healthy rhythm of rest. Now, God didn't need rest. We all know that. God is omniscient, he's all-powerful, he is all-knowing. I mean, we understand the glories and the magnificent uh, power that he has. And so for us, we have to ask the question that from the beginning, the plan was that God had built into humanity this healthy rhythm of rest. And so the obvious question is why? Why did God build into humanity a healthy rhythm of rest? God not only ordained it, He sanctified it. It's not just a gentle reminder, but it's a commandment. He says, You must rest. Turn to your neighbor. I like that, sister. Turn to your neighbor and say, You need to rest. All right, that's my message, let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, we love to hear that, right? Of course, I wanna rest. The problem is my interpretation of rest is one week in all-inclusive Cancun, okay? Like, I wanna be in an all-inclusive, eating whatever I want, drinking and just having food, whatever it is, that's my interpretation of rest. That is not necessarily what God is saying. God is saying, I have ordained, and the plan is that from the beginning, I have built into you guys a rhythm of rest because there are certain dangers that if you don't obey, you will face the consequences of. Now, church, let me ask you something. Why is it that, uh, and again, this wonderful praise team has led us into a time of singing and expressing our worship to God, but may I ask you, why is it that we sing? Praising God. Like God says in scriptures, he can make mountains move, rocks cry out. What I'm getting at is that God doesn't need our singing. He's not like, oh man, I can't wait till TLC on Sunday just hits that chord, that acapella and just gives me those feelings. No, God doesn't need it. We sing because you and I need it. We sing because it's a reminder on a week to week, day to day basis of God's faithfulness. And in the same way of our singing is needed for us, rest is not for God, rest is for us. Even our physical bodies, when we don't have a healthy rhythm of rest, and I think there's some doctors here too who could probably tell you a little bit more in detail what happens, but it exponentially increases your chances of high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, even worse, a heart attack, a stroke. Now I'm Korean. And this is a very difficult thing for me to accept because similarly to, I think, Vietnamese culture, like we, I think, all are mild ADHD. Like we don't know how to stop. Like we always need to constantly be doing something, working on the next gig, have three side hustles, do church service, and then do that, and it's just on and on and on and on. I don't know if you knew, but I'm a bivocational pastor and I decided to choose that path four years ago and I have my own side business, it's not a side business, it's my main income business, and I do pastor, and I do have three kids, and my wife obviously is also someone that needs my time and attention, and so as I was reading and preparing and praying through this, it was something that was personally just really tugging at my heart. If God so ordained and commands a rhythm of rest, Why is it so hard for us to do it? Oftentimes, when we don't take uh, a healthy rhythm of rest, spiritually speaking, you know there's implications of our physical bodies, just as I shared, but spiritually, you know what happens when we don't take a pause to rest in the very presence of God? Two things happen. One is a recipe for a burnout. And I have to be very careful when I say the word burnout because I think a lot of people have different definitions of what a burnout is. I, I like to describe a burnout when you lose a certain uh, pattern of joy of doing something that you were doing for the glory of God. Right, I know there's a lot of doings there, but for example, if you're serving in different ministries or like in praise ministry or children's ministry, and all of a sudden you lose this sense of joy and purpose, and now you're just kind of doing it for the duty of it, right? And you have no purpose whatsoever. Like kids wanting to worship God is no longer really like something that brings you joy, Uh, like that's probably a hint and a red flag that you are going the path of a burnout. But I also need to clarify something here. Just because there's an absence of maybe a certain feeling, for example, the feeling of joy or purpose, does not necessarily equate to the absence of God leading you in that area. I need to clarify this. Oftentimes when you're you're on a burnout, you just kind of like, Pastor Tony, I'm burned out, I'm going to quit, and then you just kind of stop, and you never come back, right? And so oftentimes we have this idea that this burnout is like, I don't feel it anymore, it must not be for me, and that's not true. The absence of whatever joy or purpose does not equate or necessarily mean that God is not leading you in that specific season of your life. And so when you don't, take a healthy rhythm of rest, you run the risk of burning out, but if that's not you, you you run the risk of building this unhealthy, toxic view of being like this Superman or Superwoman syndrome. Meaning that you feel like without you, like the show cannot go on. If you don't build a healthy rhythm of rest, in fact, I'm gonna go even as far as to say that you may be robbing certain people of the body of Christ to grow in certain areas. So I didn't tell this to Pastor Tony, obviously, but you know, I, we just preached the word of God. And so I'm not saying that all of a sudden after this, you guys go up to Pastor Tony or your leaders and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna take a rest. I'm gonna I'm a quit or I'm gonna be gone for three, six, four months. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying here. I think you need to be able to be aware and you need to be intentional about your rhythm of rest. So let me ask you a rhetorical question. How is that going for you? If God so ordained it, if God so sanctified it and he commands it because we need it or else it's going to be very dangerous for a burnout or building the syndrome of like Superman, Superwoman, this church cannot go on without me kind of mentality, we have to make sure that we're taking a healthy break. Now that's the plan, but here is the place of rest. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, all all the times, a place of rest was always tied to the promised land. It was always tied to Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. There was an actual geographical location that was tied to this promise of rest. In fact, um, you don't have to turn there, but if you go to Deuteronomy chapter twelve, verse nine, it says that the, this is the resting place. In Exodus thirty-three, one, God commands Moses at Mount Sinai and says, "Go to the land that I promise," and it says in verse fourteen that My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So, not only did God originally ordained and sanctified this this rest, but he also ties it closely to an actual location and a place, which in the Old Testament was Canaan, the promised land. Unfortunately, due to the disobedience and rebellion of the generation of the Exodus and those people who disobeyed, they weren't able to attain and enjoy the promised land. But if this is a place and a location, we have to also understand that it's not just so much about a place that we need to find, but it's the very presence that God is in. Because that promised land, it symbolized more than just a geographical location. God himself says, my presence will go with you. My presence is going to be the one that's going to lead you to this place. And so ultimately, rest comes from being in the presence of God. And so, my second question as we kind of address this topic of a place of rest. Now, I look around here and I think that there's a wide range of life stages. Young adults, married, maybe empty nesters. And whatever season of life you're in, rest is going to look different for you. Rest is going to look differently for someone who is single compared to somebody who's married, about to have a baby, for somebody who has a baby, for somebody who has teenagers. This concept of rest and being in the presence of God is going to practically look different for every season of your life. But it has to be intentional and brought up and say, God, how can I, in my season, really be dwelling in your presence? I think that is the very ultimate question that we have to ask ourselves. <clears throat> you know, as I shared with you guys, Mary with three kids, it's nearly impossible to find, and three young kids, right, nine, six, and two, it's really difficult to find a rhythm of rest, or even a place where I'm just by myself. And so my wife and I, as I was just even talking about even this concept of rest, we started to actually break down our schedule. And we went literally from Monday to Sunday, and we were trying to ask, okay, what do we need to cut away? Because we were feeling the heavy burdens of, this, um, of, of, the, of the inability of taking our rest on a weekly basis. My wife is also a director of a ministry of like about 200 kids, and so she's on the go every single week. And for us, we had to sit down, we had to break down Monday, what is the schedule Tuesday, Wednesday, what is the schedule, what are the schedule of the kids, and we have to intentionally carve out that time in our schedules to say that has to be a moment where we intentionally, purposely cut out everything else and we tune in to the very presence of God. Because if we don't do that, we're going to be continuously running this endless pursuit of just doing and doing and doing, and it's not going anywhere. It's not headed anywhere. We're both ministers, but we are actually doing more damage than helping those around us. You know, if you're a parent, you have definitely experienced this. Like, when you're tired physically and emotionally, you're so drained, um, and your kids just kind of, like, know how to push the buttons, and you just kind of, like, explode. Like, there's seasons and moments where you, as a parent, just say things that you don't mean, or you get angered more easily. That's because, again, you don't have a healthy rhythm of rest. And so just like the Israelites had this location, a place which was Canaan, for you, I want to ask you, have you been able to assess, have you been able to really break down your schedule and actually intentionally carve out that time? Human tendency is gonna tell you, no, don't do that. Produce more. Who needs rest? You need to continuously work more, make more profit. Or if you're a business owner, make more profit. There's no time to rest. If you're a parent, you need to constantly send your kids to extracurricular activities. If you're young and single, you've got to travel. You've got to go and see what's in this world. You have to try all the foods on Yelp and what's hype and everything else. Don't rest. That's a human tendency, right? We have to constantly have something prepared for the next day. But again, going to the plan and purpose of God ordaining it and God sanctifying a healthy rhythm of rest and saying, hey man, I know the struggle is real, but I need you guys to understand this. The moment you don't rest, you're gonna forget about who's the ultimate provider. The moment you don't have this rhythm of rest, you're gonna forget about my faithfulness and you're gonna think you're so awesome. The moment you don't rest, you're going to forget why it is so vital and important for you to disciple and love and care for your children. They're just going to be little task makers. You're going to forget. But here is the main important part, and it's the person of rest. Rest. And in the scripture that we read today, Jesus himself, out of all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters, right? There's only one verse out of the 89 chapters in all four Gospels that tells us a little bit about the very heart of Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? Out of the 89 chapters. I mean, we read a lot about the birth of Jesus, uh, how he discipled and empowered his disciples. We're told even about the injustice, death and, uh, of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, but only one verse in all four gospels tells us the very heart of Jesus Christ, and it's the verse that we just read. The person of rest, yes, is Jesus Christ, but I want to take it a little bit deeper. He gives us a glimpse of his heart. In the very verse that we read today, it says that he is gentle and what? Lowly in heart. Out of all the things that he could have said about his heart, he doesn't say I'm generous in heart. Heck, he doesn't say, I'm merciful, or I am compassionate. He specifically chooses to describe his heart by saying, I am gentle, and I am lowly in heart. Now, brothers and sisters, if I were to ask you to describe um, your friend, or maybe if you're married, your spouse, I'm sure there's a lot of things you could tell me about your friend or your spouse. You could probably tell me what what they like their favorite color, Uh, you could probably tell me maybe their myers brick personality breakdown if you know them a little bit more, their favorite food and movies, and all those things are great, but what if I asked you, can you tell me their heart for you? If I were to ask the spouses in this room or the single men or women about their friends and ask you this really odd question and say, Can you describe their heart for you? What would you say? That's kind of hard, right? Oh, their heart is, I don't know. And the reason why this is so important, I chose to go to this verse, is because I want us to understand that although the person of rest comes ultimately in Christ Jesus, it is in his heart, and as we see these two words that he says, gentle and lowly, Gentle was also this very Greek word was used three other times in the New Testament. The first time was in the Sermon on on, on the Mount when he was talking about the Beatitudes, and he's talking about the third Beatitude. He says, those who are meek, blessed are those who are meek, will inherit the earth. So the same word gentle that describes the very heart was used also in Matthew to, in the Beatitudes to describe those who are meek who will inherit the earth. The second time as well that we see Jesus using this word gentle comes from Matthew chapter 21 verse 5 in which there's a quoting of an Old Testament, Zechariah 9.9. 9. That Jesus is the king who is coming to you humble. Everybody say humble. Humble, humble and mounted on a donkey. So uh, one time was used to describe the, those who are meek, those who are humble. And the third time is in Peter's encouragement to wives to nurture more than anything else. The hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. Three times. And against the fourth, obviously, to describe the heart of God. And so what Jesus is getting at here, is he's saying, look, in my heart, I am telling you that I am meek, I am humble, I am gentle, in all of my splendor, in all of his glory, in all of his riches, he is the one most approachable individual in the whole earth. He's gentle. And not only does he tell us that he's gentle, but he also adds that he is lowly. This lowly description, adjective, overlaps with the word gentle, and it's generally translated humble, uh, such as in James chapter four, verse six, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What he's saying is he is accessible. Christ is saying, I am gentle and lowly in heart, But there's a prerequisite. It is those who acknowledge that they are heavy laden, those who are coming with burdens. What does he say in verse 28? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. The prerequisite to understanding the very person of rest ultimately are those who come to God, who acknowledge that there is a burden just way too heavy for them to carry on their own. Now I don't know the burdens, the worries, anxieties that you may be carrying on this morning. My son Jake, and I always talk about my son, law-abiding son. I love him. He's so he's nine years old. And I don't know if I shared this with you guys before, but one time, like we're driving, and I parked in a place where it says clean air vehicle and he says dad what's clean air vehicle and I told him you don't need to know that because <laughs> my car was not a clean air vehicle but he knew and he was like dad I don't think we should park here and I said ah you're right and I just like park away and he's like Dad what's the speed limit I'm like it's 45 he's like why are you going 50? I'm like Jake it's just like five miles he has this constant and I love him. I love him. He's so different from like me and Esther. I love him, but he has this constant heavy burden always to always check up if everything is aligned. Like he is the one who turns off all the lights, makes sure so that all the doors are locked at night. I don't even touch it. He does it himself. He closes the blinds, and I'm like, dude, just leave the blinds open. He's like, no, 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 I need to, cl- I need to close the blinds. Closes the blinds, makes sure that AC is turned off, all the doors are locked, all the lights are off, and when we leave, he'll ask, hey, did you close the garage door? Did you do this? And I love him, but he always carries this, ne- this unnecessary burden. If you ever meet him, don't tell him I said that. A necessary burden to always make sure that everything is right. And one time, I just had it. I said, "Jake, you don't always have to check. Jake, don't worry about like the door being locked, the garage being open. Hey, if someone steals stuff, praise God they probably need it. It's okay." And I'm just trying to teach him that he needs to stop carrying this burden that is unnecessary. Like, Why is a nine-year-old worried that someone is gonna break into our house every single day? He doesn't need to worry about that. Why does a nine-year-old need to worry whether I have a clean air vehicle or not or whether we're in speed limit driving every single day? It doesn't have to be that way. But oftentimes, you and I, we do the exact same thing. We carry on burdens that are so heavy, that are so unnecessary. And then we forget that Christ has already done the heavy lifting. Yet you and I carry on this expectation and burden all the time to either perform or to be somebody that you're not. And then it just drives you to the ground. But here's the key. Jesus says, I'm gentle and lonely. You need to first address the very burdens that you're carrying. You come to me, understand my heart for you. Understand my very heart for you is gentle and lonely. I'm not here pointing fingers at you. I'm here with arms wide open. And as he accepts you, and you understand what it means to rest in the very presence and in the work of what Christ has done and who he is, we understand the very teaching that he says. He says, look, my burden is light he says himself in verse 29 take my yoke upon you this yoke and he understood the context because they all were farmers most of them and he knew that there were yoke that was so heavy a big piece of wood that would be placed on the oxen where that would be carrying the equipment to do the farming and so he told them look my yoke is very what does he say does he say it's heavy no does he say that you will never be able to carry? No. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle, lonely, and hard. You will find rest for my souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am confident. To say that the more we rest and abide in Christ. The easier, the less burdensome it becomes for you. On a week to week, day to day. The more we abide, the more we rest, the more we understand that this yoke he has given us is indeed light. As we learn from him, And as he understands us, our human fallenness, and understands us at the very core, he promises rest, not in Mexico, not in wherever you want to go, rest in our souls, which is far better than physical rest. It is a rest in your heart where you are assured that where you are is exactly where he wants you to be. I, again, maybe you're so burdened by the expectations of maybe your parents. You know, the last couple of months have been super busy in our church, a lot of young couples getting married, but in the process of getting married, there's so much drama because it's like a family coming together with another family. and. I understand that as a, as a dad or mom, you're never fully going to be, I guess, accept, not accepting, but like satisfied because you think your son or your daughter is best, but man, there's some, some drama. And, there's, and what has uncovered over the past couple of months as we were doing premarital, talking things out, is that a lot of these young adults who are about to get married have been carrying. Such a heavy burden, unnecessary burden of expectations that has been given to them by their parents. Now, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I'll close with this. Even for myself, for over 10 plus years, uh, when I was in second grade and third grade, and I experienced my mom almost getting beaten to death by my own father, who was a minister, right? Now, there's a redemptive part to that story for another time ever since then, my mom would always used to use me as a crutch, as a second grader. As a second grader, I can't even imagine this because I uncovered this as I went to therapy. (laughs) As as I went to therapy and processed all these things out, my mom used to just tell me of how much she hated my dad, how she's gonna divorce him since I was in second grade. Ever since I immigrated to the States in the mid-90s, and I realized that for 10 plus years I carried I didn't even know it, this heavy burden on my shoulders that manifested in such toxic ways. I hated my dad and I didn't even know why I hated him. Like I wanted to really kill him at times. I had this heavy burden of just like wanting to make my family right all over again, but it was an endless pursuit of making it right because I was trying to do it my ways. It wasn't until I actually had to bring that before the Lord and say, God, you need to touch this. You need to address this. You need to address what's going on in my own heart. And that's when I understood, wait, this, this makes complete sense. There is this Godness in Christ using and moving the moment I understand the, the burdens I'm carrying God you've already, you've already overcome. So church, my beloved church, man, I, I, I plead with you. I ask that we take this promise of rest, the very plan, the very place, and the very person ultimately in Christ Jesus, and really take the time, if there's any way for us to respond after this, is to assess maybe the burdens unnecessary, maybe some necessary, whether they are unnecessary or necessary, to be able to address it and say, God, I bring this to you in my season, in my place. You take it. Remind me of your heart and give me rest for my soul. Can you pray with me as I just ask you to once again assess where you're at in your own current season of life, I believe that the burden is a concept that crosses all generations. A a, a nine-year-old kid will carry burdens of his own. A 75-year-old individual will carry a burden of themselves. You have different burdens that you're carrying, and whether you're a minister of this church, a leader of this church, or just a, a, a newcomer, Why continue carrying that when we have access to the very person who promises rest and says, you don't need to carry that heavy burden. Bring that before me. I promise you, I guarantee you, the prerequisite is come to me, all you who are heavy laden, those who are burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls.